Good morning to you, and uh, thank you, team. Man, that was beautiful. That was truly beautiful. Thank you so much. If you have a Bible with you, or you can uh, round one up wherever you are, we're going to read now from um, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Follow along with me now as I read. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are indeed the bread of life. Teach us now from your word. Let us hear from you. And let all who hear taste and see that you are good. Amen. Well, the passage that we just read this morning is a very familiar one. I would be willing to guess that even if you stumbled upon this live stream or upon this recording, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. It's very probable that somewhere along the line in your life you have heard of the five loaves and the two fish. It's simply become a part of our cultural lexicon over the past 2,000 years. And one of the reasons is because this is the only miracle of Jesus outside of his resurrection from the dead on that first Easter morning that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell this story, so it's familiar. And maybe it's a little bit too familiar. I would invite you this morning, even if this is a very familiar story for you, to Try to hear it with new ears, to try to see it through fresh eyes this morning because it's truly amazing 
and it's truly life-giving. It's amazing and it's life-giving because it makes a claim that we must grapple with, that we must wrestle with, one that you may be struggling with right now, actually, in the midst of this stay-home, work-safe ordinance that we're under here in Houston. And that claim is this. Jesus is a compassionate king. He provides bread, and he is bread. Jesus is a compassionate king. He, he provides bread. He is bread. You see, all of the gospel of Mark up to this point are making the claim of the kingship of Jesus. Mark is demonstrating through the actions of Jesus what he said in chapter 1, verse 1, that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King over all of his creation. He's demonstrated this by calling his disciples to himself with unique authority, by casting out demons, by healing the sick, by calming the sea. He has power over all creation. He can change the course of nature at any time based upon his will. He's the king. But the question is this, how does Jesus exercise his kingship? Is he the kind of king like Herod that Taylor, our pastor, talked about last week from the story just above this one? Is he the kind of king who is narcissistic and self-serving and fearful and spiteful? Or is he the kind of king that uses his great and vast power in service of others? Jesus is that kind of king. He's the other-oriented king, the compassionate king. He's compassionate for many reasons, two of which we see in this passage before us, that Jesus offers us bread from heaven, and Jesus himself is bread from heaven. Now, in order to fully understand the impact of this event and how it applies to us, let's orient ourselves a little bit in Mark's gospel. Earlier in chapter 6, we read that Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. They were in pairs, and he sent them out in mission. One of the things that we know about this mission, and we learn this more from Matthew's gospel, is they weren't actually ready for this. They weren't, quote-unquote, equipped for mission. It was actually part of Jesus' discipleship of his disciples to send them out on mission before they were ready. Actually, that's part of Jesus' discipleship of us as well. He sends us in mission to the world even if we don't feel ready for it. Now, when they returned from this mission work, they were understandably exhausted. They had a lot of things to talk about. And so Jesus, remember that Jesus is compassionate, says to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So the goal is for Jesus and his disciples to go on vacation, to get away from the crowds, to debrief from their missionary journeys to rest. But it didn't happen. While Jesus and the disciples were chilling in the boat, taking it slow, going down the coastline, the crowds all ran ahead of him. So when they got off the boats, all of the crowd was already there. Surprise! Can't, I know you can't believe that we're here, right? Did you miss us? And I'm sure the disciples were like, no, we did not miss you at all. 
But verse 34 says, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so instead of getting back in the boat and trying to go farther away from them, he began, as the text tells us, to teach them many things. And it wasn't a short sermon. He taught them until it grew late. Jesus' disciples were ready to rest, and they were ready to be rid of the crowds. And so they desperately wanted the crowds to disperse. They came to Jesus. They reminded him that they were, in fact, in a desolate place. In fact, in the first part of this passage, that word desolate is used three times to remind us all there was no food there. They were, in fact, in a desolate place. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said something incredible. Verse 37, you give them something to eat. What? We just told you, Jesus, look around. This is a desolate place. We don't have money. We don't have food. We don't have the resources. What are we going to do about this? Well, the answer is that we aren't going to do anything about it. Jesus is. And so Jesus offers bread from heaven. The point of greatest tension in this narrative is the point where Jesus takes these five little barley loaves of bread and these two small fish and he blesses them. And you're left there wondering, what is going to happen? Is he going to lottery these off? Is he going to auction them like people are doing with medical supplies right now to the highest bidder? Is he going to raise some money for his ministry? What's going to happen? Now, it's important to have the correct mental picture here because when the Bible says that there were five loaves of bread, these were not long French-style baguettes or big loaves that you would get from the bakery. The loaf was a small, round, flat loaf of coarse barley. The fish were not big fish that you would get a guide and go out into the Gulf of Mexico to try to haul in. They were small fish, more like sardines that would be caught up in a net when you found yourself over a school. It was a snack, actually. And Jesus took that tiny snack, and out of it, he created enough food with surplus to feed 5,000 men, which doesn't count the women and the children who were present. So in fact, it is much more than that. There's a simple but beautiful message of provision at the heart of this miracle. It's this, Jesus cares for your needs. He cares for your physical needs. All of Jesus' miracles actually are double-edged swords. They bring what is true in heaven, what is actually happening in heaven right now, they bring them down to earth. In heaven, as we've already read in a passage in Mark, no woman suffers uncontrolled hemorrhaging and bleeding. And so Jesus simply brings that reality, what is true in heaven, to her life on this earth. And in heaven, no one ever goes hungry, ever. And Jesus brings that reality to this earth. This dichotomy that people these days try to make between quote-unquote the gospel and quote-unquote mercy ministry is a false dichotomy. Jesus would not understand why people on the internet seem intent about arguing about that. He would have no idea what that is about. Here's the biblical model. Just as Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God 
by bringing what is true in heaven down to this earth, he now calls his body, his people, the church, to continue the mission of bearing witness to the redemption of all things through word and through deed. And here are two things that this means for you. The first is this. Jesus cares deeply about what you are suffering and what you are experiencing physically right now. The novel coronavirus is an invader. It's not an invader because it comes from China. That racism surrounding that is ridiculous and unacceptable. It's an invader because it emerges from the wreckage of a world that is disordered by sin. And Jesus is not aloof to it. He's not aloof to pain or suffering or sickness or sorrow. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. He knows that you are prone to depression in times of uncertainty and darkness. He, he knows that loneliness causes you pain and sorrow and suffering. And he shows up in the middle of it. And he walks with you through it. And he provides for your needs in the midst of it. But the second thing that this means is that one of the ways that Jesus provides for you is through you. He has set his church, his people on this earth. All who call upon the name of Christ to walk into the pain and to walk into the suffering and to walk into the struggles of other people and to bear it with them. Phone calls, text messages, handwritten notes on real pieces of paper, gift cards to favorite takeout restaurants, random checks that arrive in the mail for workers who are furloughed or unable to do their jobs right now, food that is delivered to the doorstep. This is a time to be physically separated, but it is not a time to be alone. It is actually not a time to be isolated, truly. We're the body of Christ, who Christ has left on this earth to provide bread and care for those who desperately need it. So Jesus provides bread from heaven, and Jesus is bread from heaven. Remember, every miracle of Jesus is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, he is feeding the crowd and it manifests his deep compassion and his mercy and his tender cares for our physical needs. But on the other hand, it is a sign. It is a sign of a life-altering and transformational reality that Jesus is the glorious king who came from heaven to this earth to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is bread from heaven. One problem, though, is the same that we have is the same problem that Jesus' disciples have and the same problem that the crowds here have. It's that we get so focused on our hopes for how Jesus is going to meet our physical needs that we miss the greater provision. We miss him. We miss that he is pointing us to true and eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth because we get so fixated on what he can provide for us right now. 
The very next thing that happens in the Gospel of Mark is that the disciples get in this boat after having this meal, and they go out into the middle of the lake. And in the middle of the night, Jesus walks on the water to him. Now, this is Jesus who has just provided food for over 5,000 people, who raised a little girl from the dead, who caused a hurricane in the middle of the sea to stop, who cast out a demon and sent it into a herd of pigs. Jesus has done all of these things, yet when he walks to his disciples in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the lake, it says they're afraid. They're terrified. They can't believe it. You see, they're fixated on the bread. They missed the sign. The crowd doesn't react any better. And just two chapters after this, in chapter 8, Jesus again is teaching. Again, a crowd is present. Probably much the same crowd as is present right now because at this time, Jesus is developing a following. And again, they get hungry. And again, the disciples come to him and say, we have no food. What are we going to do? I can't believe how patient Jesus is. If it were me, I'd be like, what? Where have you people been? But he's not like that. Patiently, he provides for them food to eat again miraculously. Here's the thing. We have very short memories, don't we? We have short memories because what we are conscious of is what is right before our faces. What we're conscious of, and, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, what we care most deeply about is that our temporal needs are met that we acquire and we retain our definition, our own definition of what is enough. Enough money, enough security, enough health, whatever it is. And Jesus cares about that. He does care about that, but he wants you to go deeper. He wants you to understand that everything that you have from the toothpaste that you use this morning to the house that you live in is a gift from him and it points beyond that to another reality. The great gift of life with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. I have a dog, a really wonderful, amazing dog. Her name is Charlotte. She turns 13 years old in May. Charlotte's completely useless as a watchdog because any human being that she comes into contact with is automatically and forever her best friend. Charlotte's amazing. We deeply, deeply love her. But Charlotte the dog is not the brightest lamp in the room. Every once in a while, I'll drop something on the kitchen floor while I'm cooking. You know, something that would be a scrumptious treat for Charlotte. And if she doesn't see it, it's unlikely that she will ever see it unless I actually grab her by the collar and lead her to it because what I'll do is I'll get her attention and I'll point to it. Charlotte, look, a strawberry on the floor right over there. And you know what Charlotte does? She finds my finger that I'm using to point with and she just follows it. Her, her, tongue, her, her tongue is out. Her tail is wagging. This is a fun game. I can follow the finger all day long when actually the finger is pointing to something much better for her. A strawberry on the floor waiting to be eaten by her. But she misses the really great thing that I'm trying to point her to by fixating on what I am pointing with. That's our problem, I think, with the gospel very often. 
And maybe we have an opportunity here. Maybe you have an opportunity to step back and ask yourself, is Christ really my life? Is my hope really in him? My health? Well, that's pretty uncertain at the moment. My economic security? What economic security? The future of my vocation in the next weeks or months or even year? Who knows? Have you been relying on the gifts and missed what those gifts are pointing you to? I do think that we are in a season of grace right now. The foundation of what we are building our lives upon is being revealed to us. The gifts are becoming opaque. They are uh, thinning out so we can actually see through them. The question is, are you able to look through them? Or are you going to miss Jesus? Because at the end of the day, what you and I ultimately care about is the stuff. It's the stuff. He's continuing to provide bread. He is. But he's pointing beyond it as well. Can you see that he's pointing beyond the bread that he provides to the living and true bread, which is Christ himself. Jesus, bread from heaven, pointing to his great salvation. This actually raises a question that I've been wanting to talk to you a little bit about. And that is this. What does that mean? If Jesus really is the true bread and what he's calling us to do is to feast on him, what does that mean about communion while we're in this season of live-streamed and video worship. Doesn't it seem like the obvious application from this passage that we would go to the table of the Lord and eat bread and drink wine with him? Actually, it does. So why are we ending our service this morning with a song and a benediction and not simply encouraging families and gathered groups to take the Lord's Supper? Well, the reason is because the Lord's Supper is not simply about a person's and individual's or a family's individual connection with God. The Lord's Supper is about the church's connection with God as a community. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before his crucifixion, he did it with the community of his disciples. When the Apostle Paul gave the church instructions regarding the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, his instructions centered on a plea not to individuals, but to the community, not to be separated during that time, but to come together and share in that feast. When we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, it is celebrated with a great multitude from every tribe, nation, and language under heaven. This is a hard season for us. I see this in the time of the life of our church as a bit of a fast. What is it that we are not experiencing right now? What is it that we are fasting from? What longing should this time of physical separation create in us? It should create in us the longing to be together. It should create in us the longing to greet one another with hugs and handshakes and high fives to pick one another's children up, to put our arms around each other as we, as we talk, to walk forward together as a church in gathered worship, to eat, 
bread and to drink wine. To hold off, to abstain from the Lord's Supper for a time, I think, is to create proper longing for us as the body of Christ. And it gives us something to long for and therefore to call out to God for. Lord, hasten the day when we can come back together. Lord, hasten the day when we don't need to be separated. Lord, remove this virus from our midst. Draw your church together. Increase your church and let us eat and drink together. It's awesome that we can still gather like this right now. Awesome, completely. But there is something lacking. And what is lacking is our bodily presence together as the body of Christ, eating and drinking at the table of our Lord. Let's plead with him to hasten the day that we can feast with him together again as the body of Christ. The Lord is a compassionate king. He will provide. He has already given us himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great and compassionate king. You who did not consider equality with God something you grasped, but made yourself nothing, taking the form of a servant, coming to this earth and suffering death, even death on a cross. You are the bread of life. Even as we are unable this morning to come to your table and eat and drink with you, we pray that we would grasp you by faith and that you would lead us into eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.